Welcome to Ed Leaders, the podcast covering all the interesting ideas about leadership, strategy, culture, and the business of K-12 education. I'm your host, Luke Callier, and joining me each week in the chair is my co-host and colleague, Matthew Irving. So without further ado, let's get to it. Now, Matt, this week, I kind of want to talk about a little bit about strategic thinking and how in particular that that's not strategic planning. To get us started, I thought that uh, we'd I'd just kind of give a little bit of, I guess, context and background. You know, for me, I think that strategic planning is about uh, the process um, of creating a plan, uh, but thinking is a lot different to that. What do you think? I think it's a really uh, interesting topic, and I think if we pair back and talk about what we've done traditionally as leaders in strategic planning, um, it's pretty, pretty simple. Um, and there's probably been three stages to it. It's what we want to do, uh, how we're going to go and do it, and hopefully it's going to have the impact that we want. And so planning is really just setting a direction of what you want to achieve, how you might go about it. And in that uh, experience, it's very transactional. Every business says, says that they do it, but I can't help think there, there's an essence missing. What's leading us up to deciding what is important? What is leading us to knowing that we've got the resources and there's a level of feasibility in how we actually get about it? Um, and I think the impact bit at the end of, of, the, of the, the process itself, it's almost like we cross our fingers and hope for the best. So what we say we're going to do and the way we develop is going to have some level of impact. So for planning, for me, traditionally as leaders, has been pretty transactional um, and not necessarily representative of some of the deep thinking that I'm hopefully we're, we're going to explore today. Yeah, I think for me, I think strategic planning, and I think about it in an educational context, there's this general sense of, okay, every three to five years, we take a, a couple of months or a year to kind of look at our goals from five years ago. We then go out to community, like our staff and our students and our parents, ask them for their input through forums and whatnot. And then we get this whole range of kind of ideas about what the essence of our business should be about what the essence of our school should be what should we be getting after and for me the strategic thinking part is around taking a broad kind of brush look at all of those contextual pieces but also kind of looking at what's out yonder that we're not thinking about to kind of get after the good stuff yeah and that's a and um i guess an interesting thing to kind of bring back and as we start pivoting into this concept of what strategic thinking is, mm-hmm. there is an element of looking at the landscape. Where are we? Where, do we? where are we standing right now? What are all the levers economically, politically, um, what's happening in education at the time? But I, I have not necessarily seen us do that really well. So what is the landscape telling us, the way we should be thinking, and then approaching the planning? Um, and we just sort of take the best bits of those stakeholder engagements and, oh, that's a great idea, and oh, that's a great idea. We'll throw some goals together, we'll work out how we do it, and we'll be set for the next three to five years. And how many times do we see a plan develop like that that's not shared, that it's not by everyone, and it ends up being some glossy brochure sitting on someone's desk or on a bookshelf gathering dust, and in three to five years, as you say, we get it out and go, oh, did we do what we said we would do? Um, so I might have a pretty cynical view of strategic planning for its own sake. Um, and that is a very narrow view of what do we want to do, how do we want to do it, um, and let's hope that we did what we said we would do. And did it have any, any impact? I don't know, but we'll start the process again in three to five years. For me, that, that planning part is really just a, it's a checklist of things that you want to do. 
It's not necessarily strategy and it's not necessarily strategic. It's just the action items. Yeah, and another way of framing it, and I, I like um, Greg Curtis and um, Jay McTye have done a little bit of work around organisational improvement and they talk about that concept of input-output impact. And the output bit is what I think we're talking about today. We're so worried about what the output is in terms of the what and the how that we seldom spend the time and the thinking and the input, which no doubt we're about to explore. All right, so with that, we'll kind of get into what we think are our key skills for a strategic thinker. And the first one I've got on the list, Matt, is uh, anticipate the future. And uh, there's a great quote by, uh, I think it's Wayne Gretzky, skate to where the puck is going. And I kind of think that that's a really interesting uh, skill and, and it's not where you are now, it's about where you want to be or where society is going to be or where your customers are going to be. Absolutely. And there is a, there's a fine line between where you are and the landscape and understanding what might be out there. But where do you want to actually go? Where's that ideation? Where's the big dreaming happening? You know, at the end of the day, a plan should, should capture some imagination. It should capture a vision. It should capture a just cause that we are all chasing. Um, and without spending that time in the, what I call the input, looking at the landscape, looking at the horizon, but then capturing, okay, where do we really want to go here? What are the opportunities that are presented to, our, uh, to ourselves? What's quite unique? That's the business of a strategic thinker. And you know, certainly that's something that I, I love working in that space um, because that's where the ideas get generated. That's where the ideas get connected between what's actually out there and then what might we want to do. Yeah, yeah. so for me, I think it's around exactly what you're saying there, but how, do you, how does someone kind of be able to create those ideas? You know, how do we get, you know, people in the right headspace when you've got the grind of day to day and giving them, you know, the right people in your organisation that freedom to actually draw bits from here and here and here and kind of really understand, like, how do you really kind of anticipate where things are going to be in five to ten years' time? I think you were talking about last week a bit about futurist thinking and that kind of connects to that, but you've got to have people who are willing to kind of think beyond the day-to-day and get time to kind of expand where they're thinking in order to be able to anticipate, I think. Well, I think, and I absolutely agree with you, um, and the real, the, what you're trying to drill down is, okay, what's in the toolbox that allows us to do that as an organisation? And for me, strategic thinking is deeply reflective. So there's a reflective piece, and we can only do that deep reflection if we provide time and space in the organisation to do that. And I think one of the things I've learned is not everyone can do that. There's, there's, there's a, a number of key players that are those people that can get their head above the clouds and do the reflection uh, and do the reflective thinking around ideas and design and the like. And sometimes I think we expect all our stakeholders to be able to do that, but someone needs to start it and someone needs to, to carve out that time. This is the input stuff that we talk about. The, the other tool um, and strategy that I'll talk about here is um, some sort of white paper. And the way I've done this before is to myself go away and do the research for them a stimulus if you like to get the conversation flowing um, and so you know for council and for executives and the like developing a what are the challenges for 2030 what does 2030 education look like 2040 2050 and position some seeds and that could be around personalized learning that could be around sport and you know you and I have talked about esports and that development uh, it could be around um, online learning uh, a blended model um, it could be a range of you know micro credentialing or whatever it might be 
Um, but to help people through that reflective process, I think we need to carve out time. But two, we need to give them an in. And for me, developing a white paper, developing a workshop around the challenges that we may face that then turn into opportunities is absolutely crucial. If we want people to be strategic thinkers, we actually have to take them on a journey. Yeah, I think, you know, I hear what you're saying there and I kind of think about, uh, you know, when I've been involved in these processes and you know, people want people to reflect, generally the way I've seen it done is by, you know, like we're in a, you know, in a staff meeting setting and someone puts a, a quote or something up on the board, there's three points and you've got five minutes to think about it, write down an answer and then discuss it with a friend or whatever. And I think while they're good at scratching the surface, like I think those people who are going to be really good strategic thinkers, like they may not come up with anything in those five minutes because it's actually on the drive home or it's a stimulus in another conversation and it's like it's drawing back the dots at different points in a day uh, in order to be to create those reflections, not just necessarily a, you know, a three-minute slot you know, at an appropriate time with a one question. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. You know, that, you know that, and we reflected on this. You know, it might be okay for you and I who spend hours a day spending our time on this, but then we go to teachers, oh, can you do the thinking now? Oh, you've got three minutes. Uh, respond to this survey. And it's at multiple levels that we engage people. In the journey and so it's from you know setting up a, what I might call a design team or um, you know an interest group that are really focused in on a particular idea and spending an hour or two unpacking that and you don't necessarily have to get to an outcome but you need to start the dialogue so it's for me it's about bringing people on that journey connecting those ideas yes you will have a perception survey yes you will have people just scratching the surface yes you'll have an engagement with council yes you will be um, exploring some of the, I guess, the, the deep nuances um, to, to where we're going, what we might want to do, but it's the collection mm-hmm. of those things. And, you know, we, we often talk about strategic thinkers are those people that can join those dots from those experiences. Um, but I've never seen it work really well when you give people one, one moment in time, now let's do the thinking. Yeah. It's got to be scaffold. When we think about our kids, it's yeah. so different. Yeah. It's a scaffold approach. But at some point, there's got to be one or two, three or four people that are gathering those insights. They're the ones that are really, for me, doing the high-level strategic mm-hmm. thinking and joining those dots together. Yeah, I guess just a quick question, and I want to go on to something else, but, you know, it's interesting. I hear you talk about the white papers, and I think that they're really important as those seed sellers and kind of managing up in a lot of situations with a white paper. Yeah. Not very often do we produce a white paper for managing down. Any thoughts on that? Um, I'm, I'm okay with that. I think, for me, the, the white paper... Your, your target audience often is those people that aren't deeply ingrained in education. And, and often a, the decision makers. And they are. Trying to, yeah. So you are playing, playing up. And then for me, playing down is, is, is more about what are they experiencing right now? You know, what is the very best of what's happening right now for them? Um, what are the things that are working well? What are the things that aren't working well? What are the things that are getting in the way? And so for me, when we're managing down, it's about connecting to their... their their individual experience, but also their collective experience. So you've got to meet them where they're at. A white paper don't, ain't going to work. <laughs> if I, I'm on five sets and I've got a mental group and I've got co-curricular, no, no, how do I elicit some level of reflection based on their experience? Um, and, you know, I wouldn't say a paper's a great way of doing that, but a small facilitated workshop, a 15-minute conversation, a fireside chat, um, you know, a three-question survey, um, 
you can get some pretty good data out of those sorts of things. And, you know, I reflect last year we were setting some strategic priorities. We know what the frame is. We know what the big picture is, but we wanted to drill down. Uh, we asked three, three simple questions. What should we continue doing, stop doing, uh, and start doing? From that, that we then join the dots on to shape um, the future year. Um, that was really meaningful. But it was about their lived experience right there and right now, you know, right now, right then. So, yeah, different for different stakeholders. Yeah, and for me, that's, uh, I think I've actually got that as another key skill, and that's the interpretation, and maybe we'll come to that in a second. Sure. Um, I guess the other bit about anticipating the future, which I kind of want to talk about, was kind of getting that understanding from your network. The wider that network that you have in different areas of kind of business or the world, let's say, uh, the exterior world to, to the workplace, you know, the more conversations you can have with people that are in those, in those spheres, potentially the more you might be able to anticipate and bring that knowledge and skills to, to the education workplace. Um, and totally agree. And we've sort of spoken about this before that, you know, one of the, the things about being an effective leader is having a, a broader network where you can test your ideas. And I find myself spending more time doing thinking and joining dots at school events. And the reason being is that there will be counsellors there, there will be other executives there, there are parents there that are in business, there are parents there um, in you know, social enterprise. And it's those incidental conversations that I find almost more valuable in helping me determine the kind of thinking that we should be, be on about. Um, and there are a few, few go-to people, you know, be it at Anzac Day Service or a valedictory, I make a beeline for those people that I know are just going to give me something out of the blue. And, I, and I'll, I'll simply be sitting at a dinner and I know the questions I want to ask because I, I want to get, get a sense of what's happening out there because there is transfer. Um, and so that's really important. And again, you know, not necessarily a scripted way of developing ideas and being that strategic thinker, but actively having a tool that helps you gather those insights and then join dots. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you've mentioned events where you've got people from within the school, but without outside of the bubble of the school. And I think for people in education and coming from a background where I haven't entirely been in education my whole life, it's really challenging for people in education to develop the network mm. in the corporate sphere, say, without it being parents. Because when do you find the time, apart from friends and, you know, in terms of university colleagues or whatever, everyone's in education a lot of the time. So apart from parents, it is quite challenging for staff and for leaders mm. to find that kind of network beyond. Yeah, and I think I was sort of reflecting on what you're saying, particularly in the corporate world. Um, you know, in education, we're very much about the relationship, about the people that are in front of us day to day. Whereas almost maybe in this, maybe your experience from a corporate world, you actually don't have that natural sort of ecosystem in front of you. And so you actually have to be very deliberate about moving outside, move, developing the relationships and those networks. But the upside of that is you get a sense of what's happening in the, the broader landscape. Um, and so the ecosystem of, of that structure perhaps is better suited to getting those insights than perhaps education is. Yeah, and I think it's just different. You know, yeah. it's just different. I think, you know, like, uh, you know, as a, say an accountant or an engineer, you can work in, you know, 10 different industries over 25 years if you really wanted to and have contacts across 10 industries. Whereas in education, you work as a teacher, you're probably working in 10 different schools, but not in 10 different industries. So I think that network effect is just different. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and I think in terms of building that network, more challenging for people in education, something that I guess if you really want to be a great strategic thinker and 
put that kind of as a key skill you want to develop, there's some thought that maybe needs to go into, great, I can do it at school events, but how can we do it? Yeah. And how can we want to about, about that? that? You know, we, and we are in education starting to talk more and more around partnerships, partnering with a university or an innovation centre or a hub. Uh, I can't help think that's part of that yep. understanding of, okay, where, is, where do we need to start positioning ourselves at a school? We don't know. We need to, to, to make those connections ourselves. And certainly I've seen that growth, particularly over the last five years, more and more partnerships, industry partnerships happening in school. And, and there is a mutual benefit there. Um, but as we focus in on our, our theme today about being a strategic thinker, having to be very deliberate about that has to be in your toolbox. Yep, definitely. All right, the next key skill I have, Matt, is the ability to think critically. And I know that's a bit of a buzz kind of capability at the moment, critical thinking, but really critical thinkers kind of they, they question everything in a, in a strategic sense. And I think that's an important skill. Absolutely. And I think um, it's, again, something, if we get back to being a thinker in general around this sort of stuff, not everyone can do that type of thinking. And there's got to be people in your organisation that are those reframers, those people that can conceptualise different ideas, draw the dots together and, and, and try and make sense of those themes. Um, but you and I have talked about this before on previous podcasts, asking the right questions. And you need people in the room that will prod and probe uh, around those questions. Um, it shouldn't be a moment of, of group thing. We talk about you know, getting all the room and agreeing, oh, yes, that's what we should be sort of doing. No, every idea should be challenged. Um, and the way I think about the challenging ideas is comes back down to some, maybe some really simple design thinking methodology, which is what are all the tactics here? What are all the different ideas? How do we know that they're feasible? How do we know that we can upscale them? And more importantly, and you hear me bang on about this all the time, what impact are they going to have? And if we can't explain that, well, let's just park that idea to one side and get on to the next thing. Um, we need an ability to, to filter um, there are going to be ideas that generate more ideas and we can start shaping, but there are some other ideas that we just actually have to put to the side. Um, you know, and so in, in a workshop, I will always have a wall of ideas or a place where we just park something. We don't want to lose it and it doesn't have value right now, but it may have value. So a, a tool of capturing some of that stuff to one side and then spending that, that time on the stuff where we're generating more things um, and we can add those filters, question more to help us generate those themes. So I think um, critical thing is really, really key. Not everyone can do it in having those critical lenses. And I, and I see that in you. I mean, that, that's one of your great skills is being that critical thinker. And I wonder what your ideas are around that. I mean, what's your approach to that? I mean, do you walk into a meeting and go, all right, I'm going to ask tricky questions today. Are you you're the guy that's like, I'm going to upset the apple cart here. How do you? No, what's your frame? not at all. Uh, not at all. I often try, not always, but I try to think about the, before I ask the question, is this question adding value to this conversation? Mm -hmm. And if I'm not understanding something, how can I get to the why? The what, like, the, you know, the root cause of why we're talking about this or why this is important? And has that truly been explored in some situations? And just kind of, again, bring that different lens. Mm -hmm. Kind of, have we thought about X, Y, Z? you know, in this scenario. So it's almost putting yourself into other people's shoes as well in that moment. If, if hang on, we're going down a track here and if I'm struggling with that, actually part of my responsibility is to put that question out there because no doubt other people might be feeling that as well. So having that social awareness is really important too. And I think, you know, like, you know, we have this common sense of beliefs a lot of the time in education that X, Y, Z is the best. Yes. You know, and I like to kind of go, hang on a second. Hang what on. What about... D, E, and F, 
are we sure that this is the best? Mm. Are we sure that we're not what something's happening over here in you know this part of the world could be you know applied here? Like, are, are we missing the boat on something? That sort of stuff. And is that because we're thinking too linear? A plus B equals C, rather than A E, and it's probably a little bit of a G, and 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 really sort of challenging that notion that. Actually, it's a combination of things rather than this kind of linear line. Yeah, and I think in education, for me, we kind of we kind of have to be linear because we go year one, two, three, four, five, yeah, six, yeah, seven. Yeah. You know, our kind of curriculum is developed in a sequence, and yep. you know, like we don't often deviate in a you know, like the common kind of idea of when you you know in a startup company is you're going to go from here to here. You know, yeah. like in a straight line, it's complete growth the yeah. whole time. Whereas yeah. the reality of growing a company is you're up and you're up down, and down, you're up yeah, and yeah. down, and it's never linear. And then you're back to square one, and you know, when a crisis hits, uh, and how quickly can you pivot? Whereas education, uh, you know, a lot of the organisations have been, you know, in schools in general have been around 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years. Mm. Uh, things are kind of more linear, they're set in their ways. And and, and are we a product of, of you know, the industrialisation of education? You know, it's that, that machine model, you know, mm-hmm. we start one end of the conveyor belt and we end at the other. And, and has that actually stifled this notion of strategic thinking that leads to fantastic strategic planning and, you know, and impact? I uh, can't help think that's had an effect on the way we think. Yeah, and I think there's there's people obviously out in, you know, the edu sphere who are starting to, ask more questions about that, yeah. uh, which I think is good for the, you know, the industry, really. Yeah. Um, but I think it's an interesting kind of, you know, dichotomy that mm. we all face around that linearity and, mm. you know, what about X, Y, Z, that's kind of yeah. you know, how that could be applied. And just unpacking that, um, you know, in just a, in a real life example and, and another tool um, to, to, you know, talk about as a strategic thinker, one of the things we've been doing as a school is saying, well, why do schools set four or five year strategic plans? Because by the time you get to the fifth year, you either have done it or you've changed because the landscape's changed significantly. But is there a different way of doing it? And there's a couple of schools here in Perth and we're playing around with this here in our school to say, actually, we have a framework that, you know, a broad brushstrokes around culture, around our core business, um, around our points of difference and, and I guess around the innovation piece of, of endeavor and uh, etc. They're our broad brush, you know, it's our blueprint if you like. So our plan is it's not... It's a blueprint, but it's not strategy. That's right. And But the strategy comes in that every year we're going, okay, where are we at? What do we need to be aware of? What does the landscape look like? Um, this thing is not linear. It changes on a dime. And so I can't help think we are starting to challenge that notion of a linear five-year strategic plan and actually going you know what, a strategic plan in a school in 2020 mm-hmm. uh, after a crisis, um, uh, changing political spheres, changing um, endpoints of education and university entry, you're kind of daft to be thinking four or five years that actually being agile and flexible and being able to pivot um, quickly mm-hmm. should be a reflection of the way you think strategically but also plan strategically. And I can't help think there's a, there's a really cool tension at the moment between that because you've got you know, maybe corporate influence in a school and, and our system leaders are saying, no, oh, it's a four or five year plan. And it's got to be linear and it's ABC. And we're kind of saying, well, you know what? There's a blueprint, but we need to be way more flexible. Yeah, for me, it's like, why does strategy, why does the best strategy have to come every three years like, or every five years? What are we waiting for? Stra- strategy can come, you know, anytime, any point. That's right. Know, like at any, any 
kind of juncture in the road and it's like that great stuff it might happen when you're walking the dog you join three dots that you've never thought about and go that's what we need to get after and then you you know i've got some other points about the journey after that but yeah. strategy and and great strategic thinking can happen anytime yeah. in a place and who's to say that's not going to have an amazing impact but, but so much, like, I think, let's go back to that idea of being a product of, of an industrial model. How many times have you heard you've come up with this amazing idea and you know that you can upscale it in six months and it's, oh, it's not in our strategic plan? Or, oh, we'll tackle that next year because we're bound by these calendar years. Um, you know, and so we, we're constantly constraining ourselves. Like, that's us doing that rather than saying, hang on, hold the phone. Let's have it, let's, let's think this through. Let's play with this idea. Because actually, it might be the next big thing, and so and I've got a question. Some disruption. That. Let's yeah, go for like, it. Like, how many strategic plans would there be? Say, let's say there's what well, I don't know how many schools in Australia, three, five thousand. I don't know something yep. like that. Easy. How many of those strategic plans for any school would in, would have included online learning? Yeah, very little. I would have thought. Yeah, very very, very small percentage. Yeah. So strategy on the fly yep. around how are we going to deliver this yep. what's it going to look like yep you know upskilling staff change management you know all of that where is it it happened within a two-month window mm. you know maybe even shorter in some cases in the in the recent crisis yep. but that's that's strategy in in one way around dealing with a situation that arises out of nowhere yep. doesn't mean it has to happen every three or five no. years and nor are we saying that you have to throw the baby out with the bathwater here in terms of what we've traditionally done, there's some really good stuff to that. Um, but we also have to be agile. Um, I also think a little bit about um, what I've seen in strategic planning, particularly in this country in schools, is this kind of death by actions. You know, oh, we're going to do a bit of this, we're going to do a bit of this, we're going to do a bit of this and a bit of this. And you get these strategic plans, they've got like 60 to 80 actions in them. And you go, oh my God, no one's going to ever achieve that. People fall over themselves. And... The thinking hasn't. The, if the thinking had been done, there wouldn't be eighty actions. Is my, my belief. Now I'm happy to be be um, tested on that. But I look at some strategic plans and going, is this just trying to keep up with the Joneses? Are you are you just trying to appease? You know, you've got your business plan, your improvement plan. You know, well, for me, that's what they are. Those types well, of plans. That's not a strategic plan for me. It's not strategic. And so um, I do think we've lost our way a little bit, and we've tried to corporatize our approach to strategic planning in many ways. But I think we've taken it too far. And I think what we're challenging today is that paradigm of let's stop worrying about the plan and let's start focusing more on the input, which is the thinking. Yeah. So I guess uh, it takes me to our, to our next uh, skill, and that is analyse everything. Yeah. You know, for me, this is really around having the ability to synthesise. Trouble with that word sometimes. <laughs> uh, you know, like the data that you can that you can capture within your own yep. environment, yep. and that's uh, you know like through your basic systems, but also getting like the regular reports that can come out of that yep. to get an understanding of the current status quo. But again, that kind of that, that data that sits out in the world, you know, like what's happening with you know, national economies and what's yep. happening in local economies. Yeah. You know that sort of thing. What's happening in the in the greater sphere? I think schools are getting better at it, but it's so essential. If we're talking about the input of a strategic plan, the research bit has to be done really, really well. And for me, it's exactly what you're describing: is the data input. What's what's our academic saying? What's our demographic saying in terms of who we're attracting in our enrolments? Um, well, then what do we need to then be aware of? 
what's the economic sphere, you know, and in a fee-paying school, that has a massive effect on your strategy when it comes to enrolments, um, the programs you deliver, the programs that you don't deliver and the like. So when we are being those strategic thinkers and we are thinking about where we are, let's go back to that question, where we are, that's the data point right there because it's not only a reflection on us and where we're at in terms of our own students and our staff and, and enrolment catchments and all those sort of things, but it's also that external piece, uh, the economic piece. Um, and certainly every six months here, we're very deliberate um, in looking at those sorts of things, particularly the banks are pretty good in some of their economic statements. All right, what is that telling us? What might that look like in five, 10, 15 years? What are the things that we're gonna be aware of? And no doubt schools like us are out there knowing that we're in a phase of a shifting um, uh, funding regime. So over the next, you know, next 10 years up to 2029, all our funding model is changing. Um, we're already planning for that now. What does that look like? So data is absolutely crucial in that input stage. Um, and again, I've seen a lot of strategic plans done based on a narrative of where the people are at um, and what they want from a school rather that lens of, okay, what are some of the driving forces? And, and this is the place where I think data uh, adds significant value. Yeah, for me, it's around kind of probably understanding, you know, and digging deeper into that data than other people as well. Uh, and sometimes that can be an iterative process. Like you start with a set of data and you go, oh, there's a little bit of a trend here and you dig deeper and you dig deeper and you dig deeper. And for me, it's about knowing sometimes more about multiple data sets than anyone else. You know, in a way, if you want to be really strategic in how you're going to, going to create your kind of frameworks for things, you've got to know more about the data than, than anyone, not just the superficial stuff. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think if we're talking in our podcast about tools today, um, the other tool for me is a process of unpacking data. Well, I want to just go back a step before that. Yeah, it's probably sure. collecting data. Yes, okay. Yeah, collecting data, I think, is something that strategic thinking requires you know, people to think about what's the data we need here yep. and then go and get it, but then it's the, the unpacking piece. So if we would look at one data source that you'd want to collect is, is some level of perception survey from a range of stakeholders. Say so something simple, we all do yep. it, right? So let's start with something pretty simple um, where you're testing a couple of things. You're testing who you are and your culture and your values. You're testing where you are, so the stuff that is going really well. Um, you're also testing the landscape. So what's out there that we should be paying attention to? Um, what might we do? So that, that idea of ideation around the future and innovation and going forward, because we've got to capture, capture a vision and how we might do it. So any perception survey should be gathering those tools. That should be sort of the loose frame. But unpacking that for me is where the magic happens. And the way I like to do it with teams is actually to get a range of stakeholders to actually unpack the data. I'm not going to unpack. I mean, I could do it. You could do it. I mean, we could do it together and come out with the themes and, and you know, upscale it pretty quick. Um, but for me, it's really important that parents look at the parent data and they unpack that. They, do, they draw out those themes collectively. It's important for students to do that. It's important for teachers to do that. It's important for counsel to do that and bring those things together and say, collectively, we've drawn this data together. These are the themes that we've collected. And why is that important for me? not only gets them into that strategic thinking mode, but they're sharing in the journey. So whatever outcome we have in terms of a plan, they own it, it's theirs, because they were deeply entrenched in that experience. Um, so that's just one tool of data collection, but also data um, uh, analysis. And one of the frames I always have when I start that process is, 
It's observation only. Don't make assumptions. Don't make inferences just yet. There'll be time for that. But what, what's the raw data telling you? Um, and that's a challenging process because people want to jump to a conclusion straight away. No, 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 no. What are, what are the facts? This is the observation. And just list those down. Then we'll move into interpretation, inference and the like. Um, but for me, that's that's really, really crucial process. Yeah, I think it's kind of like that little bit of, I guess, the unpacking piece into interpretation for me. And interpretation was my next kind of key skill. But I think for me, where we, we don't always get people across the line is hearing meetings all the time, the I reckon statement, I think statement, getting people to move back to what does the data say? Yes. And, you know, like, have we got data on that to yep. support this thinking? Yep. Uh, for me, is a part of, you know, the strategic mindset and yep. the strategic thinking and, you know, trying then to find the patterns yep. in the interpretation, I think is, again, one of those key skills for strategic thinkers to be able to kind of go, okay, there's patterns all over the place here. How am I kind of interpreting these yep. to make sense of something? Yeah, and I, I think you're, you're right in terms of the challenge. You know, people have an urgence, an urge to qualify. They have an urge to, um, you know, even place their own value judgment on it. It's pulling back. It's it's refraining from jumping in. It's refraining from doing that early on. Yes. But then once you've kind of feel like you've gathered a range of things, or you've been questioned enough to gather a range of things, rather than taking, oh, so and so said, so that must be, you know, yeah, like yeah. one staff member said, oh, X, that, that's the case. That's what the whole yep. staff body thinks, and in yep. some cases. That may be the case, but often it's probably not. Yep. So it's about kind of understanding that. But then I think the next part of that interpretation is about bringing your lens and bringing your interpretation of that to the table and actually having a firm view on something. Absolutely. I mean, people will be looking for that. And so that facilitation of workshop, um, you know, and I think we've, you know, we talk about it all the, the time, asking the right questions, but you will have a bias. Be aware of your bias and that's okay but be aware of it and know that part of your job um, in this, this sphere is to, to facilitate and draw out those themes if they aren't readily surfaced. Um, and that has to be done at some level. Someone has to be responsible for that. Uh, and that's absolutely okay. So I agree with what you, absolutely what you're saying. Yeah, so the next one I have on our, on our list is, um, is, and you've kind of touched on it in a couple of you know, the comments you made this morning, uh, is around building consensus and framing decisions? It's a, it's a really interesting one. And um, I guess there's a bunch of tools we could talk about that to do that. But building consensus, you know, you've already pointed on, uh, touched on, we've spoken about that journey. Being part of the journey from the beginning um, is, is absolutely crucial. But building consensus for me... In is, the right context too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, feeling valued. Yeah, it's not lip service. Not lip service, but valued in the process. Uh, you know, to get to where you and that's where the interpretation of the yeah. data is so important. I guess the next piece for me is to build consensus is to see some clarity. And to have clarity for me um, is to see, see a frame, to, to see some themes um, and then to have those themes tested. So there is a job for um, a strategic thinker to go away and do some of that work, to join some of those dots and it has to happen in isolation. And then you go back out to your stakeholder groups to test that. It's testing those with the right questions and the like. And, you know, Luke, you know, my style and, and you know, actually both our styles is to go away and conceptualise, mm. um, you know, and I'm, I'm quite a visual uh, person. So, you know, I get absolutely hammered with all my diagrams and, 
um, the king of being the wheel of wonder and you know yeah, it's in a circle diagram you don't like yeah there you go uh, and colours love love my colours um, but I, I find those visual representations and concepts um, they help everyone else they help everyone else yeah. but they give people an in and also they don't necessarily establish this is what I think and this is what we're doing yeah. it allows for tinkering if, if you like so somewhat, people need something solid to hold on to they need something solid in which to engage with. And that's where I use my wheels of wonder and add my diagrams. But there's still room. There's in room for interpretation. There's in, in room for iterating um, and, and improving the ideas and the like. But they need something in front of them. They need something concrete. So I guess my view in building consensus and framing decisions, firstly, what are we talking at? I need something to look at. I need something that I can talk to. There's something that I can explore and interpret. I just can't. Think, sit in a room and have a conversation because often how many times have we been in a conversation we spend an hour talking stuff through and we actually don't get to an outcome so people want to leave that room with a sense of achievement and outcome and, and it's just one of the tools I use to ensure we keep doing the thinking but we keep making progress in, in the in the um, I guess yeah keep making progress in, in the, the plan itself yeah I think what you're saying there is coming up with that conceptualization helps bring the people in the room along the journey to the crux of the matter. Yeah. Like, okay. What matters? Yeah, what matters here? Um, and, you know, it's interesting you talk about the tinkering there uh, and, you know, how important that is and whether that's important for the outcome or for the journey of the other people. And I think that's interesting. Um, and kind of, I guess, you know, where I want to get to with this kind of point is it's all well and good if you, you could be the best strategic thinker in the world and spend hours and hours thinking about these great new concepts and ideas and things that are going to change the way we do things. But if you can't frame getting to a decision to enact change yep. and get the change across the line with the right stakeholders, the strategic thinking is kind of not useful. No, what's the point? And I, I guess I, I just want to, you know, as you, as you sort of described that, um, we, there has to be an outcome. That, that's un, you know, unquestionable, but how you get there, there's different ways of doing it. And one of the things that I, I do to keep that momentum going and to keep that engagement going um, is to ensure there's some, some kind of exit card at the end of each session. So what are, what are our broad um, brushstrokes in terms of our observations? The questions have led us to observe these things. And what I'll do is then go back into the next meeting and say, on the 18th of February, this is what you said. Uh, about our last session. Yeah, you do that well. And, and we frame that and we go, oh, that's right. And that kickstarts us into the next thing. So there is that sense that we are making progress. Um, but I guess the, the, the crux of also what we're saying is at the end of the day, someone's got to make the call. Yep. And so we've done the iterative bit. Um, and at some point we go, all right, it's D-Day. Decision's made. All right, let's move. And I think what you're kind of getting in, that in, in there is around... Influence. Yep. You know, and that's... Yeah. yeah. You know, like it's probably the, the back end of the strategic thinking process. It's around the influence of the, the network that you need to be able to influence. Yeah, absolutely. And having the right people in, in the right room at the right time. Yeah. I think uh, we've got a couple more. We didn't, we'll wrap up. Being creative and thinking bigger. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a really important skill in terms of, in terms of strategic thinking because strategy usually not always but often is about thinking a little bit bigger and beyond where you're currently mm. where you're currently at 
and being creative about those solutions. Yep. Uh, it, it's great to like get the like, because we've had been having this discussion today to go back to to a, a previous comment um, that strategic plans I've seen are just purely death by action, and partly that is because they haven't challenged the process hasn't challenged people to think big, and to go actually what do we really want to chase um, beyond a dot point. <laughs> um, so what is the next big thing? You know, if we are truly innovative, what is that big leap forward that we want to take? Um, you know, and you know, there's some commentary at the moment around thinking in that, you know, what's finite in schools? Well, our core business is finite. Academics, pastoral care, co-curricular, these are all finite parts of our business that every other school does. But what is the stuff that not everyone's doing? What's that infinite stuff? Um, what is that stuff that takes us out of our comfort zone? And in some ways, a strategic thinker needs to spend 80% of their time on that, helping influence that experience from my where I sit, um, and 20% on, on the tactics and the actions. They'll kind of take care of themselves if we're thinking big enough. And I don't know about you, but when I started as a leader, strategic plans and visions, we always talk about vision statements, and vision statements had to be achievable. Vision statements had to be inspirational. Vision statements had to be quantifiable. Da-da-da-da. Um, I'm not so sure anymore. I, I, for me, you know, a vision statement should be bold. It should be, I should feel a sense of excitement. But you know what? It should be infinite. It shouldn't be closed. It should generate ideas. It shouldn't um, have this kind of aspect of being closed um, and finite. Um, and so I'm, I'm wanting to think bigger. But I do think there's, there's an opportunity to shift um, the way we do our strategic thinking. And I think it's okay to dream. It's okay to to think bigger and beyond ourselves um, and start hunting hunting the good stuff um, then playing the game of doing what everyone else is doing and that finite stuff. Let's get cracking. Yeah, I think when I look at educational leaders in, in that are out there and, you know, there's, there's definitely leaders who are just taking care of the business, you know, like yeah. And, yeah. You know, managing the day-to-day and keeping things at a high level and keeping things on track. Versus those kind of leaders who, you know, they, they articulate a vision of what they want their students to be while they're at school, but also five, ten years afterwards. Yeah. And how they want those kids to contribute to society. For me, those are the really kind of the big thinkers, the inspirers, the people who yeah. you, you kind of go, oh, I really get a sense of that they want to change the paradigm yeah. of how students see the world yeah. on a day-to-day basis. and. You know, for me, those types of leaders are the ones who they they bring a strong influence over the entire culture yep. of the school. Because if you're with me, you're all on this journey together, and it's going to be really exciting if we ever get there. And we're always going to keep working towards it. But that's that's the big creative kind of yeah. ideas. And it's not fluff. And it's and and the reason I say it's not fluff because you know obviously there's, there's critics out there, but it's deeply grounded in the present as well as the future. And that's where those leaders come to the fore. So yes, they've, they've got a really broad vision and, it, and it's infinite and they're thinking about the future of their students, but they're shaping it, they're influencing it now. And that's the grounding piece um, that, that helps, I guess, dispel that notion that they're constantly thinking about tomorrow and it's just so far in the distance and can you just take care of core business today? Well, the core business of today is inspiring the kids right now and right in front of them mm-hmm. and their staff. Um, and there's a few leaders we could point to that do that really well, yeah. uh, that, that it's deeply grounded right now 
but also beyond those school gates. And I think for those types of leaders, you have to be so bold and, and not be so concerned about the criticism because you, know, you can imagine when some of, the, you know, some of the educational leaders out there that have had those types of you know, dreams and visions, that surely the first time they go in or when that's getting iterated, you know, there must be people in the room that are going, this is never going to work. This is crazy. Yeah. You know, like yeah. this is just silly. This is not how we were going to do education. Yeah. So it would be an interesting kind of to go back, you know, fly on the wall in some of those meetings. Yes. On and, you know, when, when that kind of strategy is kind of being formulated. And I think that's a, a really interesting episode we might come to. You know, um, you know, we talk about being on the balcony but getting it onto the dance floor. And that's the last bit of strategic planning. Um, and that's a whole episode in itself. Yeah, and, and for me, that was probably the last the last piece of the puzzle here. And that's, you know, like it's one thing to spend the time doing it, uh, spend the time thinking about it, but then enacting it. How yeah. do you, like the journey of change, bringing about, you know, innovation in your workplace, you know, how do we actually implement? Uh, and I think that it's interesting. Can you play in both spaces, you know, as a leader? Can you play in the space of I'm out here kind of, my mind thinking about connecting these dots, but at the same time bringing people along on the journey for the dots that you had 12 months ago. Yeah, yeah. Great challenge. Absolutely. All right. Um, I think we'll move along to our interesting observation of the week. Yeah. Uh, you got something for us here? Absolutely. And I think it speaks to the kind of strategic thinking uh, we've been talking about today. Um, and over this last week, I've been working with um, teams of leaders to kind of reflect on what have been the the hallmarks of effective leadership throughout the crisis. Um, and it elicited some, some amazing um, feedback from our leaders. Um, and, and I guess I want to talk about, I'll firstly talk about why this is related to strategic thinking. And it's deeply related to who we are. Um, and I kind of framed that question quite early on in our piece today. Who we are matters. And who we are seldom changes in a school. Our culture, our values seldom change. But if they're not lived and... Um, live and experienced and we can't point to them in our day-to-day operations but also in our strategic plan uh, we've got a disconnect and we've got a problem doesn't matter how good your ideas are if you haven't got that that understood you've got problems and the thing that came back to me time and time again um, throughout this, this this conversation was culture 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 people before profit um, and we made some deliberate decisions in our organization not to stand people down we made a deliberate decision to make sure people were meaningfully engaged in work. We made a decision that we would all do it together. Um, and the impact that had um, was absolutely phenomenal. The connection it had with our values, we stood behind our values as an organisation uh, and we lived it throughout the worst of situations. And people spoke about the empathy, the value that they felt, that they felt trusted, uh, and they also felt empowered. Not only was the leaders empowering staff um, they, they made clear expectations, but they gave them space to actually enact stuff. We empower you, we trust you, go for it. And the thing that came out of this whole experience and talking about that leaders became vulnerable, we shared our experiences together, communication was great um, and, and the like. Um, but most importantly, that at the heart of everything we did, the outcome was about pride. And in my 20 years in schools... I don't think I've been in a school where staff collectively are standing up and saying, we are so proud of what we've achieved. We, we have a new sense of confidence, a new sense of loyalty, 
that we are going to be the voice piece out in the car park, screaming from the rooftops for our schools absolutely got this. And to, to have our leaders feel that sense of pride uh, and confidence in the organisation was just so fulfilling. Um, so that was my, my leadership observation for the week. Yeah, I think that's, you know, spot on. I mean, I think um, I'd love to come back and talk more about vulnerability, you know, in terms of leaders in, in, a, in a future episode. Um, but just to kind of, I guess, go back to that point you made about people. And I think I think you shared a McKinsey article this this week with me around people and, you know, in corporate organisations, how those that have done well so far through this, you know, the crisis that we've been through, are those, are those organisations that are really understood that you know, when all else kind of goes out the window about competitive advantage and you know, products and you know, distribution channels and yeah. customers and all of those things, what really those companies that have done well are those that have understood it's about people yeah. and it's about their own people, dealing with their own people and managing you know, the relationships with their own staff and people in the community. You know, maybe it's their customers, but really it's about, you know, how do we treat our own people and, you know, put that as our number one priority, yeah. you know, above profit, yeah. you know, above external, you know, shareholder requirements. And, and I think that that's been a really interesting observation. Yeah. And I think there's been a, it's probably become a bit cliche and we've seen this in the media, you know, everyone's saying, oh, we're in this together. Um, and I guess our mantra was no one's left behind. Mm-hmm. Um very, very powerful statement about whole of community uh, and that focus on people. All right, tweet, uh, tweet, quote, post of the week, Matt. You're up. Um, look, I just found this one. I thought it was just interesting as we think about strategy. Um, and it was just a little cartoon. I saw uh, City Morning Herald. Uh, okay, team, uh, the world has trained drastically and our challenge over the coming period will be to shoehorn these new reali- this new reality into our existing ideology. I love it. So I just, you know, as we think about where as we're he's sitting at, there looking at his uh, WebEx Zoom screen with 12 people in front of him. Yeah. So what's the transfer? What do we hold on to? What do we value? What do we throw out? Um, you know, do we maintain our industrial model? Um, do we do online? Um, anyway, I just thought it was a great, uh, great little cartoon uh, and thought it was worth sharing today. Yeah, I love it. Okay. I guess the, the whole concept of kind of shoehorning, you know, something that's brand new that's worked and trying to put it into something that's old. <laughs> that's the bit for me that's, that's yeah. gold in this. Yeah. All right. Well, that brings to an end our show for today. I hope you've enjoyed our little chat on uh, strategic thinking. Remember, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show and please don't forget to share the love, share it with your colleagues uh, and give us a review. You can also sign up for our weekly newsletter by heading over to edleaders.com.au where each week we'll sift through all the rubbish articles across the edu internet and publish just the stories we think are worth reading. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next week. Go well, people.